let's say you're making a batch of cookies and the recipe that you have says that it's supposed to yield 10 cookies. Now, if you were just going to hold and wait for the long term, then you bake it 20 minutes later, you've got 10 cookies. But let's say the cookie dough in the recipe said, actually, part of the process is to eat two of the cookies after you sort of laid it out. You ate (laughs) two sort of cookie dough. If you are a cookie dough, a raw cookie dough muncher like me, you're not going to end up with 10 cookies. You're not going to have 10 cookies. But you can't complain (laughs) because you had eight cookies (laughs) and two portions of cookie dough in the form of a dividend. Yes. That's that's the way that I think about it. Are dividend holders. They the absolutely <laughs> are. They, if you love cookie dough, then you're probably a dividend lower. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking about dividends. Dividends. Yes. You know, in personal finance, you have these communities of what I call true believers. You know, yeah. whether you're talking about yeah. real estate or index funds, yeah. these are people who just evangelize all day long about their good thing. Yeah. Like they're right up there with CrossFitters and like keto people. <laughs> and what's funny is we've quoted people like Warren Buffett several times on his stance about index funds, mm-hmm. but he's also a really big dividend guy. Yeah. His company, Berkshire Hathaway, has so much invested that they receive several billion dollars a year in passive dividend (laughs) income. I don't know that anybody listening receives that much, but I know there are people that are interested in the topic and I thought it would be good to break it down on today's episode. Yeah. Dividends are an interesting topic. I'm really glad we're talking about it for a couple of reasons. One, I think there's a presumed layer of complication to it. Like It's it's almost like it's an advanced uh, topic uh, or subtopic underneath investing as the broader sort of discipline. But I also think about dividend investors to your point about like, aside from them just being true believers, I think of them as the entrepreneurs of the investing crew. Like oh, they, that's interesting. They are the people that I think apply the same level of rigor that like an entrepreneur does when they're growing their business. Like there's yeah. all the research and they're paying attention to what they're doing and they're plugged into the annual reports and income statements. They're paying attention to leadership, right? Because yeah. leadership may have a history of doing certain things and this CEO did this over there and they're likely to do the same thing here. And so I, I, I tend to look at dividend investors, people who are really sort of into it and kind of pay attention to it in the same vein or same light, I think, as entrepreneurs, like if they weren't dividend investors, they would likely be starting or running a company somewhere because like they sort of love being in the weeds and the details and paying attention to those things. So like a business owner is obviously looking at trying to drive profit, but a dividend investor is looking to drive sort of overall value of their portfolio. And I think the two kind of go hand in hand a little bit. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about what dividends are, why some people love them while others are critical. And then finally, we'll give you our take on them and where they may fit in your overall strategy. All right. So let's start with what they are. So whenever you have a publicly traded company that grows and makes money, they can basically choose to do two things with their profit. They can reinvest it back in the company or they can distribute it to shareholders as dividends. If they reinvest it, they do things like hire people, expand locations, or buy new equipment. Whatever they decide, the point of reinvesting is to make the company more valuable and as a result, raise the stock price, which is a win-win for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that they can do with that money, as I mentioned, is to distribute it as a dividend. In that case, the board of directors would first decide how much money they want to give out, and then they take that number and divide it by the number of outstanding shares to come up with a per-share distribution. 
So if a company wanted to distribute, let's say, a million dollars, and there were 10 million outstanding shares of the company stock, each shareholder would receive a dime per share, 10 cents per share. So if you had 50 shares, you would get a check for $5. Yeah. And I might not sound like, you know, a lot, but to your point, when you've got hundreds of shares or in other cases where you've got a more lucrative sort of dividend, I mean, that number or that money really, really adds up. So you might be wondering like, okay, well, why, why would they do that? Well, It's typically because they don't have anything better to do with the money, right? Like the company does not have or can't think of another thing, or maybe the leaders within the company have not presented another proposal or a better proposal that may say, hey, we've got this money and we've got this choice. To your point, we can either reinvest it or we can give it to shareholders to keep them happy and then keep them invested. Now, I can literally say I've been... Uh, not in the room, not in the actual C-suite room, but I've been in the room outside of the room when those conversations were being had. And it was very eye-opening for me. I would imagine there are some listeners out there who may work for a publicly traded company and maybe you have some visibility into leadership decision makings. And it's very, very interesting because in your mind, especially when you're that worker and you're like fighting for budget because there are things that you want to do, all you can think of is like, oh my gosh, if we just had this money, I know we have it. We made X billions of dollars last year, right? But again, when you're the board, you're looking at it from a very different point of view. You're saying, all right, well, what is our history of being able to turn $500,000 into 10 million, right? And we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes companies are not very good at it, right? So when you think about what is the best interest or what's in the best interest for the company, which is the job of the board of directors or the chairman of the board, CEO, et cetera. That's what they do. They have to make sometimes these tough decisions. And it doesn't hurt that the board of directors in some cases are also shareholders themselves. So they have a vested interest in wanting to see the company do well. Sometimes that vested interest can oftentimes feel like a bit of a conflict of interest. But I think the point is like they're there for a reason, right? Obviously, if the company does well, they do well. And so you could argue that if they really believed and really wanted to make as much money, they could also want to reinvest that money. But they're trying to make reasonable, rational decisions around what they think is best. Now, as a general rule of thumb, high growth companies like tech startups that tend to want to reinvest all their money, all their profits to sort of make sure that they fulfill that original obligation or that original vision, they tend to reinvest their money like pretty regularly, right? Like that's pretty common and it just makes sense for them to do that. So as a result, it's not common for them to issue dividends, let's say early or in some cases ever. On the other side, you've got bigger, more mature companies who are already, let's say, the leaders in their category. So you think about like Coca-Cola, big company, been a big company, not going anywhere anytime soon. Johnson & Johnson, all of those other sort of companies, right? They don't necessarily have as much catastrophic, I should say, or game-changing room to grow relative to, let's say, a high-growth company or a new tech startup. And so those types of companies, more often than not, are more likely to issue dividends. And for that reason, dividend stocks often appeal to more conservative investors, those seasoned investors that have been around the block a couple decades, because so much of their return comes in the form of actual income instead of just long-term stock price appreciation. And that can make it uh, psychologically easier to stay the course, if you will. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's one of the biggest and most obvious reasons people love dividend investing is because of that cash flow. 
Dividends provide a consistent stream of income because the payments are typically made quarterly or annually. And the best part is that it's pretty passive. There are those people who do the research, and we'll get into that later. But for the most part, once you invest in a dividend-paying stock, you can hold on to it and receive regular payments without having to actively trade or monitor market movements. And so it really feels like free income. And there's also the perception that this is a lower-risk investment because of the characteristics, as you mentioned, that the companies have that pay dividends. Now, we talked a little bit about this in the retirement episode, but the truth is it can actually be really scary to start to sell assets and draw down and enter the deaccumulation phase of your wealth plan. And so there are some people who experience a declining portfolio balance as an indicator of failure instead of seeing it as the point. And another reason people love dividends is because it kind of alleviates that feeling. Right. Now, the big thing to remember is that when you're retired and you need income, your dividend portfolio can be a really great source for cash flow if your portfolio is large enough. And that's a really big if. So to show the math behind it, let's go through an example. Now, the estimated S&P yield for May of this year, we're recording this in June, but looking at May, the estimated S&P yield is 1.66 which means across the market, average investors receive dividend payments worth about 1.66%, which is lower than historical standards. Typically, it yields about 2%. So let's just use 2% for the purposes of not saying (laughs) 1.66 three more times. (laughs) So in this example, it's really easier to think in annual terms because companies list their average yield annually. But let's say as a goal, you want to make $1,000 in dividends every month or $12,000 a year. In a market that pays 2% yield each year, that means you got to have at least $600,000 invested. Now, that may seem out of range for a lot of people, but if you think about it long term and if you have the ability to invest a little bit more every year to gradually increase your dividend payment, you can absolutely double or triple that over a 20 or 30 year period. Yeah. But you got to have that big starting balance. Yeah, for sure. And I also add that sometimes companies decide to issue a one time dividend. They call this an extra dividend, which is always a welcome surprise, right? Like you right. were planning on 2% and then someone decides to throw a little bit more, a couple more racks on top of that. Like, I don't know anyone that would complain about that, but I'm sure some people do. But I would think of it the same way as you would like a surprise bonus at work after an amazing year. However, there is another side to this coin. This can backfire a little bit. So let's say a company decides to issue a extra dividend and they have all this extra surplus cash on hand. And instead of reinvesting it, they decide to give it to stockholders. Well, Wall Street tends to respond to that, right? Like they're analyzing the books, they're looking at some things, they're also looking at the broader environment that that company is making these kinds of decisions. And sometimes that can actually backfire. So if you can imagine a world where, let's say, you needed or something happens, something crazy happens. I'm not going to issue an example here, but let's just say something crazy happens and you actually realize you needed that money. That company is no different than you might be or your family might be, right? You just went on a vacation, you had a great time, and by the end of that vacation, you decided to just go big that night. And then you go home and realize that, you know, your water heater broke or something like that. Little things like that happen in real life. It happens to big companies as a result. Uh, sometimes that idea or the act of issuing an extra dividend can actually backfire. So let's get into why or some other reasons why people might be critical of dividend investing. And there are several reasons for this. 
One argument is that it's just, and by it, I mean the actual dividend, is just another part of your overall return. Like it's not this cause for celebration or it's not this thing that anyone can say that this particular stock or mutual fund is better than another. Like it's all just sort of part of the overall return. If you've been listening to us for a while, you know we're big fans of index fund investing. We're big fans of John Bogle or Jack Bogle, who's the founder of index funds and the former head of Vanguard. Uh, In his book, uh, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing, which is one of my favorites, he talks about overall return. And basically, he says that there are two parts to overall return. So when you're thinking about what the return is, like there's basically one part, which is just the process of your holding that stock being more valuable due to the company growing, grew more profits. As a result, there's greater value in the stock that you hold. And then the other part of it is basically the dividend payment, which is what you receive in cash on a quarterly or annual basis. Combined, when you look at the two, is basically the total return. I like to think of this the same way as you do cookie dough. Let's say you're making a batch of cookies and the recipe that you have says that it's supposed to yield 10 cookies. Now, if you were just going to hold and wait for the long term, then you bake it 20 minutes later, you've got 10 cookies. But let's say the cookie dough in the recipe said, actually, part of the process is to eat two of the cookies after you sort of laid it out. You ate (laughs) two sort of cookie dough. you are a cookie dough, a raw cookie dough muncher like me. You're not going to end up with 10 cookies. You're not going to have 10 cookies. But you can't complain (laughs) because you had eight cookies (laughs) and two portions of cookie dough in the form of a dividend. Yes. That's that's the way that I think about it. Are dividend holders. They the absolutely thing. are. They, <laughs> if you love cookie dough, then you're probably a dividend lower, <laughs> basically. So, but that's one critique, right? It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's not a bad recipe. It's just no, designed for people cookies. who like to yeah. nibble a little bit along the way instead yes. of waiting for them to be done and waiting for them to cool off. All right, that's the end of the cookie dough example. The second reason, the second criticism is that dividends basically force a taxable event. And a taxable event is basically any sort of financial action that triggers the IRS and says, all right, now you owe us taxes based on this thing that you're doing. And so if you think about dividends, it is a cash payment. You receive that distribution, which is what the act of sort of selling or receiving or cashing out, if you will, uh, to get that dividend. Uh, You earn that as a shareholder when the company pays it out. If you accept it as cash, right? That's money. That's basically income, as you said. As a result, that is something that the IRS sees. And there is a category for that. You have to pay taxes on that. So if you're one type of person who does not particularly enjoy paying taxes, this is one of the criticisms or reasons why people say, you know what? No, thank you. I don't want to have to deal with that. I'm looking to eliminate taxes or minimize them altogether. It's not even that you just don't enjoy paying taxes. I think the argument is that you can time the taxable event yourself if you decide when you want to sell shares versus dividends are given to you on a schedule that you don't get to decide like, oh, I don't want it until September when I have extra money to pay the taxes. Right. You don't get to decide. Right. Right. Okay. couple more critiques. The third is that dividend companies tend to be mature companies, as you said, versus sort of high growth or growth oriented companies. So you're basically giving up uh, your long term growth potential because these big market leading companies are already established. And as a result, they have smaller year over year gains because they've sort of passed that stage. Right. Like they're mature companies. Right. You can expect a little bit of bump, but you're not going to see the type of year over year, just huge spikes that you might see in another 
uh, sort of younger, growth-oriented companies. So yeah. again, I think that's really just a matter of preference, what it is that you're looking for, and the role that that particular stock plays in your overall investing strategy. And the last critique, and I would say that this is probably the biggest one, is that that they are in no way guaranteed. Like dividends are not guaranteed. Even if a company says, hey, we're issuing dividends this year, they can always decide to change their mind for the betterment of the overall health of the company. Again, these are decisions that are made by the leaders, basically the executive board, the people on the board of directors, the chairman, et cetera. When they make those decisions, they're doing it presumably for a reason. And so they can decide that they're not going to do it. And if you were a dividend investor and you were really planning on that, well, then now you're going to need a new plan for where you're going to make up for that income or where you're going to have to make up for that additional sort of value that you were betting on for your overall portfolio. So I think those are, what, four of the big examples or big critiques that you sort of hear around whether or not people are big fans of dividends or not. But I do think that they are really just sort of up to you and up to your preference as an investor. So what's our take? I think we lean closer to the critic side. We absolutely consider ourselves income investors. We love income generating investments, but we don't favor dividend stocks over other stocks just because of the reasons that we listed. We prefer total returns over cash flow through dividends. We want control over our portfolio. We don't want to outsource that to a board. We've done the mental work to get over the stigma associated with drawing down and selling shares when we do need to take from our portfolio. And we've also found other ways to create income, which I think is probably the biggest reason. Like if I had the goal of $12,000 in passive income a year and my options are to one, create a sustainable side hustle or two, find $600,000 to keep in a dividend portfolio, I personally am going to try to build an income stream that generates $12,000 a year. But just because this is something we don't do doesn't mean that it may not be right for you. So our goal with this podcast and every episode is really to teach you about the options and then you can make a decision based on your own situation. I'll also say this because I understand the mindset to a certain extent of someone who wants to be wealth building focused. And I think this is where a lot of people get caught up because they say, well, actually, I want to do a little bit of everything. I want to have a side hustle. I want to have my little opportunity to sort of take an idea and turn it into something or a business, whatever it is. I want to have real estate as a way to create passive income. And I want to have a stock portfolio with dividends. What I found is that there's just not enough time in the day for people to do all three really, really well. Certainly not without having someone else that you can lean on. And I think that's where most people are. But I do say, or I will say for the last couple of years, I think a lot of people have sort of gotten into it all. And I think to kind of round out your point around our preference is because we're pretty clear on what we want to do with our time, whether it's spending time with family, spending time together uh, as a couple, giving back to our communities and sort of focusing all of our energy on the things that we really, really want to build because there's enough diversity within just that business to sort of keep the interest levels and the intrigue going. But again, that's just us. Now, if you're not like us and you want to give this a try, we do have a few tips for you. The first is just try not to get caught up in like what's best, this idea. Like, well, which one should I do? Because I heard this episode about dividend investing, but then I also heard your episode about short-term rentals. And don't get caught up in that, right? We get so many questions that are framed as what's better, this or that. Again, this is a matter of personal preference. I think you might also have possibly heard someone or groups of people or other platforms refer to the term alpha 
or the phrase like chasing alpha, trying to sort of achieve alpha. And basically what that means, alpha is a term that's used to describe one's ability to beat the market. It's like an above average normal uh, benchmark, an above average benchmark. So the highest possible score one could have achieved during a certain period of time is known as the alpha. So if the market is doing 10% on average, you can do that, which is what we recommend. Like don't overcomplicate it, go and just follow the average, be average. But you can do that by simply just buying an index fund, total stock market index fund and call it a day. But then you hear that 20% is possible and then that becomes the actual goal. And some people are like more willing to take on the risk and the time and, and all of those things that are required in order for you to actually obtain that. And I think dividend investors often fall into this category because they're looking at one company that's issuing this dividend and another that looks a little more lucrative and they get caught up in that process. And I think, again, if that's something that you want to do and you have the skills and the temperament that allow you to do it, that's great. But I think for most people, the average investor, the normal everyday working person that just wants to make sure that their money is being placed in the right decisions and they don't want to fiddle with it a lot. I think sort of ignoring dividends or, or letting that be the driving decision around why you would pick one stock or one mutual fund over another uh, is, is one of the best ways to go. Now, all of that to say, whether sort of that's your goal or not, it's important to have a very clear investment objective. And once you determine your objective or objectives, whether it's generating income and optimizing or maximizing that or building and growing wealth over the long term or some combination of both, let that clarity guide your investment decisions, not what the highest potential possibility for earning may have been. Because if you do that, you're really going to be sort of led astray and always focused on what's possible versus what you really, really know is sure and sort of guaranteed over a much, much longer and much more predictable period of time. So again, this is all obviously easier said than done. It's very difficult to sort of sit back and earn 10% when you're watching one person or two people sort of earn 15. I get it, but there's a reason why they're doing that. And by the way, there's probably a little bit more to the story that they're not sharing with you, aside from the fact that they just had a gangbusters year by really focusing on or rebalancing or reallocating their dividend portfolio. All right. The second thing you want to do is look for companies with a history of consistent payments and a commitment to shareholder friendly policies. Yes. You also want to check out the growth rate of any dividends and diversify your holdings. If you can spread your investments across different sectors and industries, you can protect your portfolio from the volatility of any one company or sector. And if you can invest in a mix of large cap, mid cap and small cap stocks, you can reduce that risk a little bit. Yeah. I'll also add that you want to look for companies with a sustainable dividend policy. A high dividend may be attractive, but you got to ask yourself whether the company can actually maintain or grow that over time. I always think of GE, which is General Electric, as a classic example. They were historically known for consistent payments and had been a reliable dividend stock for years. But yeah, eventually, like 100 years. Yeah, I mean, like they were the gold years, standard. Something like that. They were the gold standard until eventually they decided to make a change to their policy. So back in 2018, they announced that they were going to slash their dividend from 12 cents a share to basically a penny a share. The challenges they faced is a reminder that even the best or the most established companies can deal with financial challenges. So while the income may be passive and consistent, like it also, they well, 
wouldn't say they're human, but like they're led by human by beings. Humans, yeah. It is affected by the behaviors of humans, right? So like these things kind of happen. So you should be regularly monitoring the health of the company in your portfolio if you are basing your portfolio on dividend issuing companies. The best way to learn more about a company is to analyze their earnings growth, their cash flow, their overall financial health. So sit in on those earning calls. Like when you get that email, don't ignore it. Read those annual reports, set up alerts on your phone and really keep an eye on it like you would a baby or join a community of other dividend holders for that particular fund. Like these are people that are exchanging ideas, trying to make sense of what they just heard or what they just read so that you're not making these decisions in a vacuum. You want to use that evangelism basically as research. It's not a fail-safe method, but I think learning from other investors can really help you cut through a bunch of research, but I think most importantly, your own biases and desires. Yes, I love it. I love episodes that are short and sweet and to the point and just lay out the facts like this one does. Okay, well, let's do more of these. (laughs) Or you guys tell us. if you. Yeah, you tell us. Do you like these short, just kind of like, I know you've heard this word. Let me just put it into context for you. If you like these episodes, shoot us a little note, leave us a comment on IG or Twitter, and we'll do more of these and even recommend a topic that you'd like to hear us break down. Yeah, we love that. All right, so final thoughts. My final thoughts are just going to reiterate what we've been saying throughout the episode. I think there are some valid reasons to pursue a dividend investment strategy, some of which we covered earlier, but my intuition and maybe even my fear tells me that a lot of people hear about dividends from social media or dividend evangelist friends, and then they jump into it because it feels like reassurance that they're doing the right thing. It's very similar to the appeal of an MLM or some other kind of Ponzi scheme, not saying that dividends are a Ponzi scheme, but when you put money in and get money out, it can feel like reassurance. And I'm not going to say that that's a bad reason for doing it. Any reason that gets you investing is a good thing, but I am going to say that it's not necessarily a wise reason. So my final thought is to go back and listen to the episode again if you need to, but really think about what role dividends play in your overall strategy, and then make your decision from there. Try to do it independently from the pressures and the evangelism that you hear from other people. Yeah. uh, My final thought is I think it's important, you know, for people to know what dividends are, but I actually don't think that most people need to pay like obsessive levels of attention to them. Unless again, you are one of those people and you, to your point, have a very clear reason for why you're doing it. Well then, yeah, it makes sense. Like if you need to supplement your income for whatever reason, maybe you're looking to supplement social security or planning to supplement uh, that plus uh, any distributions from a retirement account, like then it makes sense to do it. But I think the early stages, like if you really don't need that and you just need to be focused and you're just saving for retirement, this is a good to know, but not something that you absolutely need to be uh, jumping into. Now, if a stock or a mutual fund you own doesn't issue one, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. And I think conversely, stocks or mutual funds that do issue dividends aren't inherently better. There are tons of companies out there in stocks that don't issue dividends. Alphabet or Google, Amazon, right? You think back to even the early days of Amazon where they were not profitable and they were literally sort of pouring in every single dollar back into the behemoth 
that now became this giant company that they are. That's just part of their strategy, right? So there may have been a time where someone said, oh, I don't like them because they don't issue dividends. But if you sold that stock, I can imagine, go back and do that math and you would likely regret that decision because I don't know a single person who do not wish or doesn't wish that they held onto or bought Amazon stock, let's say maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Now, if you do have a mutual fund that issues dividends in your brokerage account, you likely have that little box in there that says reinvest dividends. Again, that's just another way of saying like, oh, well, yes, I took this cookie dough out, but I'm just going to put it in a toaster oven or put it on a different cookie sheet and put it back in the oven. Like you're basically saying, it's more like you're gonna I'm give not going to eat the cookie dough before I'm going to give it back. I'm going to go ahead and bake it because I'm more focused on the long term. I think that's what the vast majority of people are doing. Again, you don't have to do that, but that's what I think most people are doing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So that's my take on dividends. Uh, hopefully now you know what they are. And I'm pretty sure that most people are probably going to go and bake some cookies right now because <laughs> I'm kind of craving cookies. <laughs> are you going to let them bake? Or are you going to eat the raw dough? I don't eat cookie dough. Really? I don't even think I've ever had cookie dough. That's why you fumbled the metaphor. Well, <laughs> I'm afraid of salmonella or something like that. So I, I think it's a terrible That's not idea. real. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look at me spreading misinformation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Legal please do not kick us off the air. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success. If you like this episode and are looking for something that truly pays dividends, then slide over to your favorite podcast. I am not issuing a dividend for a five-star review. Well, no, I, I it's appreciate just, it. I didn't say you will cash not receive dividend. a cash payment from me. I'm just Let's saying that extra step helps people find the show and keep the party going, right? Okay, so that sounds great. <laughs> we'll see y'all we next week. It. <laughs>